I am going to pray again, um, even though Jason's already prayed for me. Um, So let's pray as we come to read from God's word. Heavenly Father, Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 19 touches on some difficult cultural issues and also may well bring up personal trials or, or moments in our past that have been painful and difficult, maybe even present situations that are challenging. So Lord, I really pray that the words I speak in this moment are true and from you and of you and glorifying to you. I pray you would great, uh, grant me great wisdom as I preach this sermon. And I pray it wouldn't just be true, but it'd also be full of grace and love and delivered with gentleness. Lord, I, I pray for everyone listening as well, Heavenly Father. May they have those same qualities in their hearts and their minds, Lord God. May they cling to what is true and good. May they be wise in the way they receive it and may they receive it with the grace and love with which it is meant to be received. And Lord, I pray that this wouldn't just be one sermon and done. I pray you'd help us as a church pastor people as well, Lord God. If there are things that are brought up or brought to the surface this morning, Lord, I pray that we would not only deliver truth in this sermon, but also be able to pastor and look after people um, in the weeks and months ahead, Lord God. So grant us wisdom, grant us truth and grant us grace in this place. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as you may have gathered from that prayer... We're going to read Matthew 19 this morning and Jesus's teaching in Matthew 19 is on occasion culturally controversial and I really do believe that it is personally challenging as well and there might be some people, I don't know everyone's situation, I know lots of you well but I don't know everyone's situation, there might, there may be things in this passage that cause pain to you because of your history, because of your past or because of your present situation and so I want to begin with a really important Before we read the passage and I begin to preach, I want to say I'm not going to say everything in this sermon. I'm going to touch on issues at times and not go into great depth on issues at times. I'm going to leave questions and potentially applications to your life unanswered. And I am sorry for that. Um, I will do my very best. um, But it's impossible for me to apply this passage to every life situation in the room. And so if at the end of this sermon you're thinking, oh, that was, that was hard for me. That, I feel really, it felt really uncomfortable during that sermon. If you're asking, how do I apply that teaching from Jesus to my life? Then I just want to say, come and, come and speak to us. As I, as I prayed, this isn't just one sermon and then we'll never talk to you again. No, this might, this might be a sermon that uh, opens up conversations and open up, opens up journeys. My mobile number is on the back of the welcome booklet. Um, So as long as it's not a Wednesday, you're welcome to get in touch with me and I'd love to answer your questions and help you. Or maybe you want to speak to one of the other leaders if you have a good relationship there. This this really is a sermon, I think, that will lead for some into a longer period of of pastoral help and prayer and and healing and growth and application. Um, My heart is to preach this in a gentle and gracious way and not just preach it and leave you to work it all out yourselves. But we want to apply it to your lives and genuinely pastor people and walk with people on a journey. I don't think it's any coincidence either that the teaching in Matthew 19 comes after chapter 18. So you remember last week we just had Jesus teaching us about the mercy of God and the forgiveness that is to be involved in the church. And so immediately after this great teaching on how merciful God is, Jesus does some teaching on marriage, divorce and singleness and that's what we're going to look at this morning. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19 
and I'm going to read verses 1 to 15, and it should appear on the screen behind me as well. Matthew 19, verses 1 to 15. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive receive this, receive it. Then the children were brought to him, that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. I'm going to preach on three things this morning from the teaching of Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to start by teaching on marriage, looking at verses 4 to 6. Then we're going to talk about divorce, looking particularly at verse 9. And then I'm going to preach on singleness, looking at verses 10 to 12. Let's begin by thinking about marriage. What is marriage and why is it such a wonderful gift from God? The Pharisees approach Jesus in verse 3, don't they? And they say, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any reason or any cause? Now notice this is a question about a husband divorcing his wife, not the other way around. And I think the implication of the question is that they live in a society where men can pretty much do what they want. They can divorce their wife whenever they like. For what, I mean, the question is outrageous, isn't it? Can, I, can a husband divorce his wife for anything, like just whenever they want, for any cause, for any reason. I suspect that this is, a, this is a society, this is a world where wives are not treated very favourably at all and husbands get away with lots and lots of different things. Now Jesus answers their question by going right back to the beginning. What did God say in Genesis chapter 1 about marriage? You know, his first answer doesn't say anything about divorce at all. He just wants to teach them about what marriage is. And this is what he says. I'll read it again to you in verses four and five. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
Now, those two verses, that answer that Jesus gives, quoting from Genesis chapter 1, contain two huge cultural controversies, two huge challenges to the Christian faith and belief in the Bible today. If God creates male and female, well, what does that mean for the transgender movement and transgender ideology? And if marriage is between a man and a woman, as Jesus says it is in verse 5, what does that mean on the issue of homosexuality? And can I tell you the truth? Initially, I wrote a whole sermon just focusing, really, pulling out those issues and, and dealing with them. Um, and then I went on in that sermon that I wrote to, to focus on marriage and divorce and singleness as well. It was only about five hours long. So, um, you know, these are big issues, aren't they? And there are they're issues that we need to respond to in a wise way, in a thorough way, in a loving way, in a gracious way. So I'm not going to preach on those two issues um, this morning. But I do want to just say two things on, on transgenderism and homosexuality, because I, I, I don't know whether other people's minds went there, but my mind went there as soon as I read those verses. So I do want to say two things. Firstly, I want to say, if you're in the room or you're, you're online, if you are LGBT+, if you are uh, transgender, or if you're struggling with gender dysphoria, if you're a practicing homosexual or you're battling with temptation in that area, I want to say this emphatically. God does not hate you and the church shouldn't hate you. You are created by God. You are loved by God. And we want to show the love of God to each and every person who joins with us, who has any kind of relationship with us. And so I just want to say you are so welcome here. We want to welcome you. We want to build relationships with you. We want to build friendships with you. We want to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ because the good news of Jesus Christ is good news for all people, for everyone. And I know that the church, I hope not this church, but the church in general has said and done some things that, that mean there are people out there who think the church hate them. And I want to say that we don't. We don't. In fact, every single one of us who have become a Christian have seen transformation in our lives. We came and became Christians and when we met with Jesus and put our faith in him, some things transformed immediately and were changed, changed quickly and easily. But all of us have had hard journeys and challenges with in, and dealing with things in areas that we need to live and transform our lives. So every, every single one of us knows God brings transformation transformation brilliantly and beautifully and easily but also there are some things we read the bible and go wow that's hard i need to work at that i need to i need to realign my thinking and so every single person is welcome here if you're lgbt uh, lgbt plus you're so welcome at christ church fair and we want to welcome you and journey with you as you meet with Jesus and experience his love and start to work out what the goodness of God and the love of God looks like in your life. That's the first thing I want to say on that issue. The second thing I want to say is really for the Christians. We know that these are big issues. In fact, um, a few of you have even asked me, what's the church's stance on this? Or have said, I've been faced with this question in my family life or my friendship life. So we know that these are important issues. They're big challenges for us as Christians to how we communicate the Christian faith to those around us. And so in order to deal with these issues in an appropriate way, what, the, what 
uh, me and the elders intend to do is write a paper, work through the paper together as a group of elders, uh, and then share it with people who would like to read this paper. It's not going to be a public document, I don't think, but it will be a document that we share with amongst Christians in the church to equip you to answer these big questions and to gently and lovingly share the truth of God's word. We hope to do that at some point this year, so I'm not going to give a, a short time scale on that, but we know that th these are big issues. We want to help you answer those questions, and so that's what we're going to do. Rather than me preach on it briefly and not do it justice here, we're going we're gonna to give you something really helpful to speak into these issues because we appreciate that they are big issues. That's all I'm going to say on those two issues at this time. So Jesus defines marriage in answer to the question in verse 5. A man leaves his father and his mother and holds fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. There's a choice, there's a commitment on behalf of the man and his wife. They choose to get married. They, they make a decision, a commitment. And then there's a physical union between the man and the woman. There's a consummation of marriage in the act of sex. They become one flesh in that moment as they consummate their marriage. But it's not just a human choice and a human commitment. It's not just the physical act of sex. There's also something spiritual going on. In this, whole, um, in this whole marriage thing. It's not just a human commitment, it's not just a physical act, but there is a spiritual work of God. Because Jesus says in verse 6 that God brings them together. And, and so as people, as, as married couples make this commitment, make this choice, as they become one flesh in a physical act of, of sex, there's a spiritual work of God who brings them together for the rest of their lives. He makes them not two flesh, but one flesh. One accusation against Christianity that I've heard is that, uh, from non-Christians is that Christianity is anti-sex. And I just don't think that's true at all. Christi Christianity is very pro-sex but pro-sex within marriage because the Bible teaches that sex is more than just a physical, pleasurable experience. There's a spiritual element to what is happening there and there's a commitment element that, that is, is happening in that moment of sex. In fact, having sex with someone is essentially saying, I'm giving you all that I am and the person responds and says, I give you all that I am as well for the rest of my life. That's why the Bible teaches that sex outside of marriage is adultery. That's why sex outside of marriage often causes deep pain and hurt to one or both parties in that moment or after that moment when there's separation. It's, it's because there's something more significant going on in the act of sex than, than we realise. There's commitment and spirituality and a move of God. Sex is a gift from God to be celebrated but used in the right way and God's instructions for how we should accept this glorious gift is for sex to happen within marriage. And so sex is a gift from God but marriage is obviously a wonderful blessing and a wonderful gift from God. A physical and a spiritual union of two people to come together to help one another. A spouse is a prayer partner for life. 
One to share the highs and the lows of your life journey with. I think that's so important, isn't it? When you go through the lows and the dark places and the difficulties, it's such a blessing in a marriage to have someone who is just alongside you in all those things, sharing those difficulties. To be at one another's side from the moment you are married to the moment one of you dies. To mutually encourage each other in the love of God. That's part of what marriages are for, to spur one another on, to love God more and to worship him and to serve him. It's a place for procreation, for families to be created and made. And marriage is a place where the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is proclaimed. In Ephesians 5, Paul's writing to the Ephesian church and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so do you you know that when there's love in a marriage, when there's a faithfulness, there's a faithful love, where there's a deep love, where there's a passionate love, that love is a testament to the love of Christ for the church. And so love in a marriage glorifies Christ. Now we know that Jesus loved the church even when she was unlovely. Jesus loved the church even when she was unlovely. And it's often true that in painful difficulties, love needs to shine most brightly. And it's actually in those moments when, when, when someone is hard to love that we keep loving, even though they're going through something difficult and it's, and it's impacting you perhaps in a negative way. You keep loving, you keep loving. It's in those dark and difficult moments that Christ is most glorified because the love of a husband for his wife or the love of a wife for her husband in those times when it might be hard to love it shows the love of Christ because he loved the church when she was unlovely when she was lost when she was sinful and he continues to love the church with a faithful love a deep love an everlasting love a glorious love day after day after day so husbands wives I want to encourage you love one another Celebrate this great gift which God has given to you. And one thing I want to do at the end of this sermon is to pray for marriages. Pray that they would endure. Pray that they would flourish and pray that they would show the love of Jesus. That non-Christians would go, wow, that husband and wife, they just love each other. Even through the difficult times, even when it gets hard, they keep on loving. What is it about that? And they would ask questions about who Jesus is and they would start to understand the love of Jesus as they look at the marriages in this church. We need to pray. Marriages often difficult it's a wonderful blessing it's a great thing but it's also often difficult so you're going to pray for marriages you're going to have an opportunity to pray for your own marriage you're going to have an opportunity to pray for other marriages in the church we love the gift of marriage that God gives to many of us and we need to pray for those marriages so the Pharisees asked Jesus can a man divorce for any reason And Jesus' answer in verse 6 is, What God has brought together, let not man separate. The Pharisees go, hang on a second, Jesus. What are you saying? Don't you know that in Deuteronomy 24, Moses speaks about divorce? Why is it that Moses would speak about divorce if you're saying that this teaching on marriage is that you shouldn't separate what God has brought together? Like, Come on, Jesus, do you not know the law of Moses? Have a look, Deuteronomy 24. And so Jesus clarifies. 
Divorce is only mentioned in the law because of human sin, because your hearts were hard. Of course, if there was no sin in the world, there were, the word divorce wouldn't even exist. It wouldn't be a thing. It's only, it's only a thing because there is sin in this world. And so God, in the Old Testament, because he saw that divorce was happening, because there was sin between married couples, he... he, he he wrote something in the law to help them deal with divorce when it happens in Deuteronomy 24. And so let's move on to that second category and start to speak about divorce from this passage. Are there any grounds for Christian divorce? And I'm focusing here particularly on verse 9 where it says, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, there's a very similar verse earlier in the book of Matthew, in Matthew 5, verse 32, where Jesus says this, I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this is the second time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus says something to this effect. And so what Jesus is saying is, if your spouse cheats and has sex with somebody else, this is grounds for divorce. He or she has made themselves one flesh with another. Even though she has, commi she has committed herself to her husband, she has gone astray from that and made herself one flesh with another human being. She has broken that, she has dissolved the union given by God in the original marriage union through her sexual immorality. We've already seen, we've already discussed and thought about the fact that Jesus loves the church through thick and thin. And so the implication of this verse is that husbands and wives go on faithfully loving one another through thick and thin. For even when difficulties arise, and even when for whatever reason it's hard to love, they keep on loving one another. But there is an exception made by Christ when one party within the marriage is sexually immoral and commits the sin of adultery. And I think there are two big responses required when we read that verse. The first is, if you are thinking through your past, maybe it is that you need to throw yourself on the mercy of God again. Maybe you've erred in this teaching, maybe you've done wrong in this area. You need to throw yourself upon the mercy of God and trust in his forgiveness. We've already taken communion together. We've already focused on the cross of Christ. We know from chapter 18 that God is a merciful God. And maybe there are some people here who, hearing this teaching, reading this passage, reading what Jesus is saying, needs to go, I just need to ask for the mercy and forgiveness of God. And when you do that, know that God responds with mercy. He answers our prayers for forgiveness. So as you read verse 9, maybe that's how you need to respond this morning, by asking God to forgive you. I think a second response is to ask a very, very big question. What about abuse? What about a husband treating his wife violently? What does, how does this passage relate to that situation? Well, many theologians have rightly, in my opinion, said that there are grounds based on this passage for divorce in that situation. And here's how they argue for that position. 
The first thing they say is notice that this answer from Jesus Christ is directed to husbands. He's answering a question about husbands being able to divorce their wife for any reason. And he's clearly challenging husbands to say, no, that is absolutely not what it's about. It's about loving through thick and thin and only on sexual immorality do you have grounds to get a divorce. So this text is addressed to husbands and we know it's possible for a husband to be abused by his wife. But I think the stats that I was looking at say in 85% of cases, it is the woman who is the victim of abuse within a marriage. And so I think as Jesus is addressing husbands and any reason, I think there are grounds and there is space within this passage for wives who are being violently abused by their husbands to seek divorce. But the other theological reason why this passage gives room for that, in my opinion, is that the theological bedrock of Jesus's teaching here is that the husband and the wife become one flesh. They're no longer two fleshes, but they become one flesh in the act of marriage. And so if a husband is beating his wife, he is fundamentally denying that teaching. He's not treating his wife as his own flesh and loving and caring gently for it. He's treating his wife as an enemy to be beaten into submission. It's not flesh of my flesh. It's you are other and you will do what I tell you to do or I'm going to get angry with you and treat you as if you are not my flesh. And so I think on that ground, where there is violent abuse within the household, a wife um, can certainly apply for a divorce. If that is you, if you are in that situation, get out and tell someone as quickly as possible. Don't leave yourself in harm's way. We have a spare room in our house. You're welcome to stay with us. Um, But make sure you get out and tell someone that what you've been going through Um, in order to provide protection for you. And then we will move forward with discussing what the next steps look like. But don't leave yourself in a position where you are at risk. So we see in this passage that divorce only exists because of sin. Husbands and wives should seek to keep loving one another faithfully, for such is the will of God. And with the abuse caveat that I've taught into, sexual immorality is the only reason to get a divorce according to the instructions of Jesus Christ. Now it's important here to briefly consider remarriage because it's referenced in verse 9, isn't it? Remarriage. Again, I don't think I'm going to be able to cover all the pastoral situations in the room, but I can say this. If your ex-spouse was the one who committed adultery against you, then you are clearly free to remarry. That's been the historic teaching of the church, that if you were the the victim of a sense of sexual immorality, then you are clearly free to remarry. If you've been divorced for other reasons, this is where I think it's about pastoring personally into individual situations rather than me declaring from the front what is the right answer. We know that situations can get messy and difficult. We have to stay true to what Jesus teaches here. And it may well be that there, is, is a, it, there needs to be a time of confession of sin and asking for forgiveness. But we go on a journey with people and speak into their individual situations, applying Jesus' teaching in love and grace. Acknowledging past mistakes, but also believing in mercy and trusting that God is good and can still bless you in whatever situation you find yourself in. 
And so if, if that raises questions for you, I just urge you again, come and speak to someone. Let's walk with you pastorally and help you apply this passage to your life in the right and godly way. Let's move on to talk about singleness, another great gift from God. So the disciples in verse 10, on hearing what Jesus is teaching about divorce, says, well, hang on then, if that's true, surely it's better never to marry. And I think that question exposes quite a lot of sin in the disciples' hearts. I think behind that question is a bunch of guys who thought that they could just get married and have a get-out clause whenever they like. That's how I'm reading the question. They're going, yeah, I can get married, but if it's not suiting me, if it's not going the way I want to go, I can just get a divorce and it'll be absolutely fine. I can go find somebody else. Jesus brings this teaching and they go, well, if that's true, then it must be better to remain single. It must be better not to marry. So I think there's big sin in the disciples hearts. They're not getting into marriage in order to love someone else and to faithfully keep loving them over and over and over again. They, they really want this get out clause of divorce that they've read about in the law and they think they can just divorce for any reason. That's what I think is going on in the disciples' heart. So they say, well, it must be better not to marry. But Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Instead, he uses this comment as an opportunity to teach on the gift of singleness. He says, doesn't he, this is something that only some people can receive. What I'm about to say is something that only some people can receive. And I think the implication of that is probably most Christians will get married. But for those who don't, and for those who have a season of singleness, all of us had a season of singleness at one time or another, singleness is a wonderful gift. And, and Jesus really emphasises just how great a thing singleness is in this passage. He, he devotes as much time and energy to speaking about singleness as he does to marriage. He does use the word eunuch. I think he's largely using the word eunuch in a, in a kind of metaphorical sense rather than a physical sense, although some eunuchs are eunuchs physically. So eunuch, the, the strict definition is a eunuch is someone who's being castrated, um, so isn't ple- very pleasant to think about. But he says there are three groups of eunuchs. There are some who are born as eunuchs. So for whatever reason, there are a group of people who, when they're born, because of who they are, perhaps it's a biological thing, will never get married. That's just, they, they just don't have that in- inclination from birth. Or they, have some, or they have some issues that mean that they can't get married, they can't have sex, so marriage isn't for them. They were born that way. There's a second group, and it's um, it's probably quite disgusting to think about but there's a second group who were made that way by men this was fairly common in ancient courts I know certainly the Persian Empire used to do this they used to have male servants but they were concerned that the male servants used to do things used to kind of maybe a bit maybe um, try to get on with the female princesses or queens or maybe with the other female servants. So in order to stop that problem, they used to physically castrate men who were serving in their courts. So there's a second group of people who are made eunuchs by other men. Not very pleasant to think about. But there's a third group that Jesus teaches about. These are people who may, in one sense, desire marriage. But actually, for the sake of the kingdom of God, they choose to remain single and devote themselves to serving God. You know, even even this week, 
I've had to spend time in Runcorn supporting my wife, Rachel. So I've left things behind that have been going on in the church for a few days in order to support my wife, Rachel. Now, that was right and good. And it was wonderful to see her because I've been missing her. So it's right for me to do that. But that's an example of where being married means that actually you can't be solely devoted on, on serving the church and doing things for the kingdom of God. It's a moment where I was pulled away in order to love my wife, which was the right thing to do. Whereas people who remain single can, in lots, of, in lots of areas of their life, be completely committed to serving to the kingdom of God without the worries of another person who you've become one flesh with. One of my heroes is a man called John Stott, who was an Anglican minister. He remained celibate for his entire life. And he, he does lots of interviews about singleness because people find, I don't know, people find it weird. It shouldn't be weird for people to remain celibate and be ministers and to devote their lives to the kingdom of God. It shouldn't, that's, that, if you're a Christian, that's the gift that your singleness has given you, a, an ability to devote yourselves to serving the kingdom of God, whatever that looks like. But people interview John Stott often about singleness. And he says, it wasn't really intentional. I had a few relationships, but every time where I got to the point where I thought I needed to ask her to marry me, actually, I felt God was saying it wasn't right. And so he called it off. And when he got into his 40s and 50s, he, he started to think, actually, it's probably not going to happen to me. I'm just going to devote myself. And, and this is what John Stott says. He says, in his life, he just assumed he'd get married, but he never did. But because he didn't get married, he was able to travel and write prolifically. Like this man's written so many wonderful books. Um, they're on my book. Johnny, I think, gave me like a whole set of John Stott books. And I thought, oh, there's lots to read there. Um, but I'm so grateful for the gift. But this guy was prolific in writing books for the kingdom of God and traveling around the world, preaching the gospel. He had a huge impact for God's kingdom and his singleness enabled him to do that. And so he speaks about his singleness as an amazing gift. He doesn't say singleness is better than being married. He just says both are gifts. It's good to be married and to enjoy that wonderful blessing and gift from God, but it's good to be single. And therefore find yourself in this place where you can devote yourself to serving Jesus Christ. So if you're single, I would urge you to rejoice in this gift that you have received. It is by no means an easy path. And there are challenges, of course, that come with being single. Often those challenges are because the church aren't doing family well enough, not loving one another well. And, and so I, I certainly apologise if, if you're struggling with loneliness as a single person because we as the church are not doing enough. There are challenges with being single, but it is a gift as well. It's rewarding to use your singleness to give everything for the kingdom of God. A healthy church needs great marriages, strong marriages with husbands loving wives and wives loving husbands faithfully. But it also needs some great single people who are giving all that they can to serve the church. So as I draw to a close, I want us to reflect on our Lord and Saviour Jesus in this passage. I focused on the practical application of his teaching, but just think with me for a moment about what Jesus shows about himself in these verses. He shows that he is a Lord and Saviour who loves to bless people. He blesses some with marriage and he blesses others with the gift of singleness. He sh Jesus shows in this passage that he's a Lord who cares about our situations. Whether we're married or whether we sing we're single, he cares about what's going on in our lives. This is not an area of, a, of our lives that he's uninterested in. He cares about these things. He needs to teach into it and wants to guide us in these areas. 
Jesus shows that he is a Lord who is merciful. We read last week, didn't we, about the great mercy of God. And even as Jesus teaches into marriage and divorce, he's showing that he's a merciful Lord and Saviour. He even makes provision in the form of divorce where there is sin and difficulty, where there is sexual immorality and adultery. He is a Lord who knows that even Christians are going to mess up in this area. And so I, I, I just love Jesus and the way he comes across through this passage. One who blesses, one who cares, one who shows mercy, one who makes provision for us as we show our imperfections in our lives. And so I want to lead us in a moment of prayer. A moment of quiet prayer first and then I will lead us in prayer. And during this time of prayer, I want you to start with thanksgiving. If you're married, be thankful for the amazing gift that your marriage is. And if you're single, be thankful for the amazing gift of singleness. Start with thanksgiving. And then maybe there's a moment of confession. Maybe there's something going on right now. Maybe there's something in your past that you need to say, actually, Lord, I think I made mistakes there. I think I sinned. Would you forgive me again? Or would you remind me of the mercy I've already received in Jesus Christ? So a moment of thanksgiving, a moment of confession. And then I'll call you to pray and petition God. Pray for your marriage if you're married and then pray for other marriages in the church as well. And pray for yourself if you're single. Pray that you would use your singleness and really give yourself to the kingdom of God, not holding back. And then pray for other single people in the church as well, that they would be giving themselves to the kingdom of God. Because that's what we'd love to see in this church. Strong marriages proclaiming the love of Christ as they love one another. And great single people saying, we love God. I want to give everything to serving God. And where I have slightly more freedom because of my life circumstances, I'm going to give that time to serving the kingdom. So let's, let's go into a time of prayer where we give thanksgiving, where we confess our sins, and then we petition and pray that in these areas we will honour God and follow him. Let's pray for a moment. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the gift of marriage and we want to thank you for the marriages in this church. Lord, they, uh, those people in a marriage know what a tremendous blessing it is and what an awesome gift it is. And so, Lord, we pray that the marriages in this church would flourish, would be strong. If there are any particular areas of struggle or challenge, Lord God, I pray that you would bring and forgiveness and reconciliation and growth heavenly father even this morning i pray hearts would be healed that there would not be bitterness or anger towards partners heavenly father i pray this would be a place where marriages proclaim the goodness of god and the love of jesus christ
Lord, we thank you for the gift of singleness. And we thank you for single people in this church who are using their time to serve, using extra finances even to give generously, Lord God. Lord, we thank you so much that they are able to devote themselves to the kingdom of God. And Lord, we pray that they would celebrate singleness as a gift and that they would more and more pour themselves out for the kingdom. I pray that they wouldn't feel neglected or unloved or lonely, Lord God, but help us as a church love each and every person, especially those who are, who are single, Lord God. I pray, yeah, I just pray for them thriving and flourishing in Christchurch Fairham. And Lord, I want to I pray into the issue of divorce and past hurts and difficulties, Heavenly Father. We know that you are a God of mercy. And so we ask you for forgiveness. And we also know that you are a God of healing and a God who loves to give good gifts. And so we pray for healing, restoration, mercy. And also that any person who's sitting there thinking, oh, that was, that was hard work, that sermon, touching on those issues. Lord, I just pray that they would know your goodness, know your love and know your blessing upon their lives. Lord, may we take this teaching from Jesus Christ seriously. We wouldn't, we wouldn't dodge it but I pray we would also use it and apply it and pastor with grace and gentleness, knowing that you are a merciful, gracious, loving God. So Jesus, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for a chance to worship in spirit and in truth by singing your praises. I pray we would continue to worship you by enjoying fellowship over tea and coffee, by having great conversations and building friendships. So be with us and bless us as we finish our meeting this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.